I always say kindness isn't something that you do. It's something that you live. It's not like, you know, yeah, I do kindness uh, on Mondays and Wednesdays from four to five. If you miss me, uh, you know, schedule and appoint my secretary for next week or the week after, and I'll get back to you. It's not, but oftentimes people can see it that way. It's like a checklist item, but that's not at all the case. It's the way that we live. It's the way that we see the world. Hi, I'm Derek Mills. Welcome to the Globe Podcast. Orly Waba is an educator, entrepreneur, and author who discovered kindness through a life journey that nearly shattered her. In this episode, she shares the story of how, when she was in middle school, there was a fire in her family home and they lost everything. After the fire, her family became rootless, moving from place to place for about six years. Her father lost his business. Everything felt like it was crashing down around her. This pivotal moment in her life threw her into a deep depression. She says that she learned a very powerful lesson from that time that when we are at our lowest, we are at our highest potential. Discovering and acting on that potential is the subject of my conversation with Orly about the vital subject of kindness. She believes that kindness isn't something you do, it's something you live. It's the way we see the world. Orly and I also discuss her book, Kindness Boomerang, and her many kindness projects and initiatives, including Dance for Kindness and Project Hope Exchange. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Orly Waba. Hi, Orly. So nice to meet you. Thanks so much. It's great to meet you too, Derek. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for being here. I, As I began reading your book, as, which is titled uh, Kindness Boomerang, How to Save the World and Yourself Through 365 Daily Acts. I started to underline words and concepts that you use that are essentially character defining. And you ask us to reflect upon skills and ways of being that are essentially values in action. And, you know, like, for example, like, practicing patience, listening, compassion, fighting the urge to gossip, introspection, empathy, sitting in the discomfort of one's own pain, and so on. And I started thinking that most, if not all of these concepts have an interior life component to them, meaning they are about what's going on inside of me or inside of the reader. And generally speaking, it's easy to think of kindness as an outward act. And I think what's really special about kindness and you and your work and how you convey your work is that you inspire and empower people to reflect on the inner dynamics of one's relationship with oneself. And in so doing, ultimately help create the conditions to make acts of kindness more likely or more of a habit or of a reflex. Uh, one point you make in your book in the June 21st century, you say, uh, often people misconstrue kindness as an act performed solely for others, removing themselves from the equation. So my first question to you is, uh, am I mischaracterizing how you're framing this? Meaning, is kindness as much about the inner cultivating of one's character as it is about outward acts? And if yes, if that's how you see it, how did you come to embody and live that perspective? 
Wow. First of all, Derek, you are so spot on. And many people, I, I have not yet spoken to somebody that's been able to characterize it like that and see it like that. It is exactly hmm. the purpose of what the book is about and the work, uh, the work that I do in general. It all begins from the inside. It's all about that introspection. Because again, like you said, right, it's easy for us to, you know, generally we think of acts of kindness in terms of, you know, something that we do for another. But really, in order to really impact change, positive change in the world, meaningful positive change in the world, it begins by looking at ourselves, by looking inwardly, by looking at the person in the mirror and recognizing that that person matters. When we truly understand that we matter, therefore our choices matter. And if our choices matter, we're more likely to make better choices. So focusing on the interior is actually the key to working on creating a positive world change, even though it may not seem that way. If you want to create positive world change, you should be constantly engaging with others. Yes, of course. And that's going to come out as a byproduct of doing that introspection. But unless you do that introspection, it's just an action as opposed to being a lifestyle. I always say kindness isn't something that you do. It's something that you live. It's not like, you know, yeah, I do kindness uh, Mondays and Wednesdays from four to five. <laughs> You know, if you miss me, uh, you know, schedule and appoint my secretary for next week or the week after and I'll get back to you. Right. It's not. But oftentimes people can see it that way. It's like a checklist item. But that's not at all the case. It's something. It's the way that we live. It's the way that we see the world. But it begins with the way in which we see ourselves. And that's really what th this work is about. And it, I have to say that it really started with my, uh, you know, my years in education, being a teacher. I was a teacher for seven incredible years. And the entire, my classroom discussion wasn't just about teaching the facts and the figures. Of course, yes, but it was about teaching the person and empowering my students from the inside out. When you empower a person, you, you create so much more positive change uh, because now they believe in their ability to effectuate change. Like I said, it affects their choices in, in a tremendous, tremendous way. Uh, you know, and so many, so many times in today's world, you know, you ever, you ever stop and wonder why the, all the different social issues going on in the world, there's so many people that approach it from the negative standpoint, the anti standpoint, right? So if there's bullying going on, let's say in the schools, everybody starts screaming, anti-bullying, anti-bullying, or if there's drugs, anti-drugs, war, anti-war, drugs, anti-drugs, depression, anti-depression, always utilizing something negative to fight against negativity, but that doesn't actually work. Yeah. It's about the other. Always, yeah, exactly. And you're focusing on the problem, but you're not actually asking, well, how do we prevent that problem from actually materializing to begin with? You know, I always say, imagine uh, there's a really narrow corridor, okay? And there are thousands of people that are walking through this corridor every single day, every day. And jutting out from the side of this corridor, that knee length is this sharp, jagged, metal, rusty pole. And people keep cutting their leg on the pole. And on the other side, there's a guy, you know, putting Band-Aids on the people's leg. Forget the Band-Aids. Just cut the pole off of the wall. Actually ask the question, why? Why is this a problem? And when we continue to ask the question of why, 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 what we find is that it stems so often from a lack of self-value and self-worth. People not recognizing that who they are matters. And if they don't understand that, their choices therefore don't matter. So whether they act in a kind way or not a kind way, it doesn't really make a difference. But imagine if you came to understand 
that you are a very important piece of the puzzle. Now, when you see somebody, when you engage with someone, you don't just see them as another person. It doesn't really make a difference. No, they're another piece of the puzzle as well. And when we can do that, that's really when we can create lasting change, lasting change and helping one another to see a spark of something beautiful in each other so that we can actually love our, love one another for who we are as opposed to who we want them to be. Yeah, I've heard you say how those seven years of teaching were the most transformative years of your life. Oh I've, man, yes. I've also heard you speak about your childhood. As a side note, my parents were both teachers. So um, I grew up in, mostly in Montclair, New Jersey, and there were teachers there. So I, I uh, have a huge respect for teachers and, and what teachers do. To some of the other points, Yes, if I'm not okay with myself in that moment, I'm less likely to be kind with myself and with others. And I think that ties into the concept of the life fest and how you came up with the name for, 100%. Your, for your organization. So I, two things I'd like to cover with you now, what was it about some of your early transformative experiences that generated this worldview that you just expressed and how does that lead to coming up with this idea for Life Fest Inside? So for me, I mean, this journey in terms of kindness and the importance of kindness has really been a part of my story ever since I was a little four-year-old kid that dreamed of changing the world. You know, and that, that was me. I, I very, very much felt from a young age that I was meant to do something to bring people together. I didn't know what and I didn't know how, but I knew my why. And I always say that if you know your why in this world, the how is going to find its way to you. But being a kid talking about wanting to change the world, wanting to really bring this like a crazy, incredible energy. I mean, people think you're nuts. And, and when you're an adult doing it, they, they think you're even more nuts. <laughs> uh, but oftentimes when, you know, when you're a kid and you know, you're, you're speaking these very grandiose things and people call you naive. Till today, people will call me naive. Oh, Orly, you're so naive. You really think that you can really make a difference in the world? The one thing I have to say is I always love to continuously see myself as a child, why? Because you know, children are really the ones that are going to be able to change the world because their view of the world is still so pure and innocent and we need that. You need to be able to continue to believe, to not allow cynicism to get you down and make you believe that you know, everything is, is how it is and you can't do anything to change it. No, we have to believe again, believe again in one another, believe again in the ability that we have to, to make those positive changes. But oftentimes when you're told that you can't, so often, really the, the greatest downfall is that you come to believe it yourself. And as a kid, I was very often told I can't. Certain things were really difficult for me. School was very difficult for me. It was really difficult for me to learn. And generally when you're not good at doing something, you don't want to do it. And so I had a lot of insecurities growing up just based on so many different things. And those insecurities, they stay with you, you know, they, they, they follow you, uh, you know, into your formative years. And I would say that a, a really big shift happened for me. The biggest shift happened for me. The greatest gift that could have been given to me in my life happened to me in my, in my adolescent years when I was a sophomore in high school. You know, I was a very shy kid. Okay. I mean, I mean, painfully shy. Okay. I was a kid that wouldn't raise their hand in class. I had so many thoughts in my heart. I really did. I had so much that I wanted to share, but I didn't have the ability to express it. It's like they just wouldn't come out of my mouth, but I had all of these thoughts, all these emotions, and I always loved people, always did. But what I didn't realize at the time was that my giving was not coming from a giving from strength. I found that it was coming from a giving of weakness. I only realized this later on, and I'll get back to this part of the story, but I did. I loved people. 
and going through some hardships with friends as generally kids tend to do in middle school years and sort of being sort of pushed to the side and feeling very, very isolated, feeling like I had nobody to turn to. My friends suddenly, all of a sudden, a snap of a finger just like, you know, turned on me. You can't sit here with us at lunch. Uh, you know, I'd call to make plans on the weekends. Everybody would say they're doing something else. I'd find that they'd all hang out together, just laughing at me behind my back. It was a very, very painful feeling. That's awful. And I felt very alone and I felt invisible. And honestly, feeling invisible is the worst feeling. It is the worst feeling. And those feelings followed me into high school. And high school is a tough time as it is, right? You're trying to figure out who you are amidst everybody telling you who you should be. And there it was my sophomore year. And probably the greatest thing happened to me. And I know it's going to sound weird when I say this because it was tragic at the time. And as we know, hindsight is twenty twenty. But in my sophomore year, we had a fire in my house. And overnight, my family lost everything. And it wasn't just the fire. It was one of those years where everything that could go wrong went wrong. It was like this snowball effect of just craziness happening in my home. My dad had lost his business. We were moving around my family for six years until we lived under the same roof. Hmm. There was no sense of stability or security. It just It felt like everything was crashing down around me. But the last thing you want to do is you don't want to be a burden on your family. I remember seeing my parents the next morning after the fire crying. They didn't know I, was see I saw them crying, but that shifted something in me. I said, I don't want to be a burden on them. They're going through enough as it is. So I kept these emotions inside. And I made, I just put on this persona that everything was okay. Everything was okay. And I was always a very big believer. Everything happens for a reason. So I was putting on this really strong persona. You can't do that for very long. You know, my friends, if I would want to talk to them, I mean, they didn't know what to say. They're 15. They're going through their own stuff. So they just change a subject. And those feelings would continue to pile up inside of me and inside of me until I couldn't hold them anymore. And one day I really just, I broke down. I broke down. And I fell into a state of such deep depression. I, I felt very alone and I just, I didn't want to continue. I went to sleep and just sort of didn't wake up the next day. And I was home from school for several months, which in high school terms, it's like forever. Okay. Mm -hmm. And during these months that I was home from school, not one person called me. Not one person, not one friend called. Nobody came by and said, see, hey, Orly, okay? We didn't see you around in school. What's going on? And that- it Must have been painful. To be honest, that was much more painful than the fire. You know, the fire took away that physical safety, that physical, that home, but that took away something much deeper. And I felt like if I wasn't here tomorrow, would there be any, anybody that noticed, would there be any indication? I don't have anything physical that I have here that shows that I was here. And it, apparently I've not left any impression on this world. So it just felt like it didn't matter the fact that I was here and I just wanted the pain to end. Like, do I even exist? Exactly. I didn't feel like I really existed. And, um, when I say it was a dark time, I'm, I'm saying suicidal dark. It was a really bad time for me. But I was forced to go back to school after several months. I just, I wasn't the same kid. I was this kid in the corner. I didn't care about, I let all my grades drop, everything. I didn't care. I didn't, nothing mattered to me. And I didn't believe that anybody cared about me either. I just felt like everyone was just so fake. Mm. 
And so I would test people, you know, they come up to you, hey, are you okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. And inside I'm just screaming, please, please ask me again. Please ask me again. And they wouldn't. And I'd be like, you see, they don't really care. And this was a game I played and I always won this game, always. I was the best at it. And uh, one, uh, one morning, I'll never forget it. I was getting ready to go to school and I was uh, washing up and I was looking at myself in the mirror. I was really looking at myself in the mirror. And the scariest thing happened for me. I didn't see that little kid, that four-year-old Orly that dreamed of changing the world, that, you know, screamed the lyrics from Heal the World at the top of my lungs and dancing in my room <laughs> that I'm going to be a part of this crazy change. I didn't see that girl. I didn't see her looking back at me. And, and she was gone. And that scared me. That scared me the most. This loss of innocence. Yeah, that loss of innocence, that loss of my of sense of my identity. And I said, I don't know how I'm going to pick myself back up, but this isn't going to be my end. And it was in that moment that I made a promise, a promise to be there for people the way I wish somebody would have been there for me and to see, to really see people the way I wish somebody would have seen me. Because really, that's all we want in this world. At the end of the day, all we want is to feel like we're seen, like we actually matter, that we're here. And it was that promise that led me to my year's teaching. That's what it was all about. It was about seeing my students and helping them see themselves so they can see one another and recognize whether you're the popular kid or whether you're the loner kid, you both have the same insecurities and that's okay. And everyone has them. Every person has insecurities. Anybody tells you they don't, they're just flat out lying to you. But to see yourself in the other, that is a key component. And to recognize that you have value irregardless of what other people tell you, irregardless of the validation that you might get from others, you have value just because you're here, just because you have air in your lungs. And those next couple of years of high school for me were tough. You know, I was trying to figure out myself. I didn't have a group of friends, you know, sort of like walking alone in high school. That's not easy, but it granted me the greatest opportunity in the world the chance to fall in love with me for me, for me. Not because I wanted to be in that group or I wanted those people to think I was cool or I had to worry about what I was saying in front of these people. I got a chance to just be me. And what I found is I found my voice, that voice that was always inside of me that just couldn't get out, I found it. And in my senior year of high school, I was, we were on a seminar, okay? And we were in a circle. And uh, the teacher was talking about obstacles. And I did something I never did before, right? I'd raise my hand. Big, big deal. Really big deal for me, okay? Yeah. And I had something to contribute. And these kids, kids that I used to be so super intimidated from, you know, like those kids that you, you're like so worried about what you say in front of them or, or how you walk in front of them. Or, the, the kids that I was intimidated from were coming up to me as, afterwards and asking me for advice. And what I found is that the more I started to give, the more I started to heal. And I just, I became in love with the sense of giving and realizing that there are two kinds of giving. There's giving from strength and there's giving from weakness. And while I was always a giver, my giving was coming from a place of weakness. It was coming from a place of sacrifice. And now finally it was coming from a place of strength, from a place of abundance, from a place of understanding that I in fact matter, irregardless of what anybody says. And once I understood that, people were able to see me why? Because I, for the first time, saw myself. 
And that is the key to everything. If you don't see you, how are other people going to see you? If you don't love you, how can you possibly love someone else, really? How can you really love others? How can you authentically engage with others if you don't authentically engage with yourself and realize that that person looking back at you in the mirror matters, recognizing in a sense that your life vest, your greatest strength is right there inside of you. You just need to access it. And you don't need to be the fastest or the smartest or the coolest or the most popular or the wealthiest or have the most social media followers to matter in this world. You actually, you just need to be you. But that's not an easy thing to do. It takes a lot of effort. And it's not, it's not a video game. It's not like you beat it and then you're good for the rest of your life. It's a constant struggle daily throughout your life. It's a constant reminder. And that's why the book itself is called How to Save the World and Yourself. Because mm-hmm. the first act in this book, there are 12 categories in the book. The first one is kindness with yourself. Because if you forget you, right? Like when you're on a plane and they tell you, you know, in case of an emergency, what do they say, right? Put on your life vest and then help the kid next to you. Sounds like the, you know, the airline is extremely terrible, cruel people. What are they telling you? Telling you, help yourself and then help the other guy. That's very nice. But they understand something at its core, actually, that if you're going to drown, you can help anybody. If you're going to drown, you can't do for anyone else. So putting that life vest on yourself, recognizing that you have that strength within you, that is your greatest act of kindness because then you're coming from a place of empowerment, from a place of strength, and you have the ability to lift others up and to throw a life vest to others, even though they're still in a sea of troubles. That vest is the difference between life and death. It would give them the hope to know that it's going to be okay. And that's the concept of life as inside. I mean, there's a full story behind how it came to be this name, but that's the concept behind it. Well, first of all, I'm sorry you went through that and had that experience, experiences as a child. It's a good thing though. I tell you, I tell you, I just want to, you know, insert one thing here. You know, the reason I say it's a good thing is because I find that when we are at our lowest, when we are at our utter lowest, we're also at our highest potential. And it matters the choice that we make in that moment. So the truth of the matter is, it was the greatest gift that I could have received because had I not, I may not have been able to tap into that voice. I still may have been that closed up person had that not happened. Of course, when you're going through it, it feels like garbage. You know, it feels terrible when you're going through a bad experience. But we have to always remember that when you are at your lowest, you are also at your highest potential. Yes, we'll get to humility in a moment. I want to ask you about humility as well. But I also want to reflect back to you, the, the, the concept of being seen and you as a teacher, you gave and were giving the gifts of being seen to students that you didn't receive. And I don't know how kids are today. I, I certainly wasn't uh, one uh, precocious enough to uh, be in a position to give someone going through what you went through uh, the response that they would have needed. And, but just how wonderful, as, as you're speaking, I'm sitting here thinking how wonderful it is that, that you're providing that. You did provide it as a teacher, and then you're now providing that gift uh, through your organization. And I tell you, you know, all it is, all it is is listening to somebody and validating what they feel. You know, I, I remember one of my students, 
one of my one of my former students, she 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 called me up. She goes, Orly, I got to tell you something. And she was at this point, she was already in her late teens, early twenties, and her sister was in middle school because I was teaching middle school. She said to me, Orly, how did you listen to all of our ridiculous problems when we were in seventh grade? We're talking about this and that. She goes, my sister comes to me. She comes home and she's telling me about, oh, with her test or her friend. And I'm like, oh my God, these things don't matter. And I said to her, don't you realize? I said, I said, when you spoke to me, when I spoke to you when you were in seventh grade, did it feel like it mattered? She goes, yeah, you made it like it, it mattered so much. I said, because it matters to her right now. I said, the key to everything is, when I was talking to you, I was picturing myself in seventh grade. I was remembering myself as a seventh grader with all the emotions that came with it, with all of the drama of friends and tests and teachers, because that's your life. So if you're not gonna, when you're speaking to another person and you're like, oh, you think that's hard? You don't even know what I got going on in my life. You're invalidating their feelings. But if you can simply hear a person out, and actually take what's important to them and envision it as being important to you, you have the ability to empower them and to lift them up, to, to really see them. And when you see somebody, they have the ability to now feel like they can make better choices. You're, you're letting them know that you're there with them. But if you're gonna invalidate them, be like, oh, that's not important. You're basically completely deflating them. It's like you just completely popped you know, a hole in their life vest, and now they're completely deflated without any air. All it takes is really listening and trying to see yourself in the other person. We may not go through the same experiences in life, but we all know what pain feels like. Yeah, it'll feel different to me than it does to you. You know, a person may not have had their house burned down, but they do understand the feelings of feeling lonely. Everyone has gone through that. Everyone questions their value or their worth in this life at some point or another. Everybody does. I mean, it wouldn't be human to not. Right. We all have days where we can't get out of bed. I mean, so if we can envision that when we're speaking to somebody else, suddenly we see them. And when a person feels seen, suddenly they're not alone. Because when a person feels alone, that's when they feel like there's no hope. And when there's no hope, a person can now become not only a detriment to themselves, but to society. And this is scientifically proven. People that are adjusted, that feel like they have support, aren't going to be the ones that are going to go out there and cause mayhem out on the streets. If you feel, so again, you, you have to realize you're not only helping that person, you're helping society. Because when a person is alone and loses hope, they will become a detriment to themselves and to society as a whole. So we have to prevent those issues from coming into existence, not try to understand them once they happen or put a bandaid on them or, or call out, you know, the instrument that was used to harm people. We have to understand, well, why did the person do this to begin with? How do we feed, how do we fix that problem from the, from the roots, not just from what it looks like on the outside that makes us feel good. I always ask people a question. I say, if you had two options, okay, imagine there's a woman that is suffering from hunger pangs, suffering from hunger pangs. What's a greater act to give that woman a meal or to prevent her from ever having hunger pangs? Now, people always say the second one, but we tend to do the first one. Yeah, one is easier. Exactly, exactly. And you say in your August 27th entry, if it were easy, kindness wouldn't be as rewarding as it is. 
it's, it's an effort and it's, you know what it is? It's like anything else in this world. You know, I always say, I give the example of, you know, muscles, right? Let's say, for example, you haven't gone to the gym in forever. Okay. And now you say, you know what? I want to get into shape. I'm ready to do it. All right. So you go to the gym first day, you're lifting weights, you're doing whatever. The next day you feel like somebody killed you. Like they ran over you with a car because you're so sore. Right. Right. That's, that's what happens. But the more that we work out, the more likely we are to become stronger. And then the pain is less. Well, our eyes are a muscle. Our eyes are muscle, just like any other muscle in our body. We have to work it out to start seeing those opportunities, to see them because there are so many of them that we come across in our daily life. And then once we see them and once we have awareness, now we have the ability to act on them. But if you're not aware, then you can't act on it. If you're, if this muscle is, if the muscle of the eye isn't trained properly, then you're just not going to see the opportunity. I remember giving a, an act of kindness card to one of my students. I used to do these kindness cards and every card had on it a different act of kindness, right? And it said, you know, perform the act and then pass the card to someone else. So I give out the cards in class and I always just tell my students, whatever card you get was meant for you. It chose you more than you chose it. <laughs> so the student gets a card and it says on it, hold the door open for someone. The next day, rushes into class going nuts orally you don't understand what happened it's the craziest thing i said what happened because the second the second you gave me the card it was like magic everywhere i went there were doors that needed to be open like there was a door and there was a door and i was like yeah those doors were there yesterday and the day before but you're suddenly becoming aware of them because you have something in your hand that's looking at you and telling you hold the door open for someone so now your eyes are more tuned in to that opportunity and that's really what the book is about. It's about helping us to put in front of our eyes those opportunities so that we can see them, spot them, and then seize those moments that are there before us. Yeah, I can imagine as a child being given a card thinking, yeah, I don't want that one. Can I have a different one? And, and <laughs> that's something I It's very say, true. I always, I, and they, I always get stories of, oh my gosh, I can't believe I got this card. It was like the perfect <laughs> card for me. That's something I would have definitely done as a child. I probably even wouldn't do that today. Uh, that reminds me of your November 18th entry where you say, imagine if we all sought kindness as we sought treasure with our eyes peeled, our arms open and ready to receive. And I love that image of training our eyes, our awareness muscles to do this kind of work, be in the world in this way. And that it is uh, an, an act that to your point, like working a muscle is painful at first and it takes time and, and practice and repetition. A hundred percent. It's the inner work that really makes a, a very big difference. You know, I always say, I keep saying it's the work of the heart. You know, and over these past couple of years, right now, thankfully, we're, you know, over this hump of COVID. But, I, you know, in the very beginning of it, I, I remember saying, I'm like, you know what, this is, we, we're, we're no longer able to be involved in the busy work that we can involve ourselves in, the out, the out exterior work. With the silence, it's time for us to focus on the inner work. And that's really important. And those that took advantage of it, I'm sure, grew in a tremendous way. But focusing on our inner work is really important building, you know, we're here in this world to do one thing, to, to perfect our character, to perfect our character. Who is that person? You're looking back at it, the mirror. What do you want people to say about that person? And it's about choosing the different traits, the things that you want to be able to be known for and working on them. And it's work, and it's work that's consistent. It's constant work. It's not necessarily easy, but it is the most fulfilling work that you can do. 
working on your character. And generally the thing that's the hardest for you, the trait that's the hardest for you, that's the one that you're here to fix. That's the one that you should focus on. Uh, but that, that that's, it's the key. Inner work is the key. Speaking of inner work, you, you mentioned the word mindful and mindfulness at least two times, maybe more in the book. And I was curious uh, how you've already answered this to some extent, but like, how does a mindfulness practice or how does mindfulness in general influence kindness? Well, mindfulness, I'll tell you just in terms of a practice, I can tell you, you know, everybody has their own way of practicing mindfulness. So my way may not be necessarily the same that way that you do it or somebody else practices it. And it's about figuring it, figuring it out for yourself. For example, I'll, you know, just give you my own personal example. You know, one of the, the ways that I, I like to start my day is I start my day in prayer. Why? Because for me, it's, it's a very important, it's very important for me. It's a very important concept and, and aspect of my life. Why? Because it quiets everything out. It allows me to, to really shut things out, all of the noise, all of the busyness, like sort of, you know, putting, you know, your episode of life on pause. And if you freeze frame your life and you take a look at it from, you know, a much clearer perspective from, you know, up high, you can sort of analyze, okay, where am I going? Where have I come? Where do I want to go? Am I, am I on that right path or am I swerving off? You can really ask yourself the questions of who do you want to be? And is the actions that I'm taking right now getting me there so that you can help get yourself back on track? If you only do this once a year on New Year's, I mean, you're not really going to make, you're not going to make the, the progress that you need to make. I always say you need to dream big. Yes, but you must think small. You need to dream big. I do this personally in the beginning of every New Year's. What I do, I sit down and I create a list of personal goals, professional goals, spiritual goals that I want to achieve, that I want to feel like, wow, I accomplished this over the course of this year, or at least taken steps towards accomplishing it. Those are the big dreams. But if I only leave it as a dream and a big list that I made, it, it's not going to happen. I have to then take that list and I take every one of the items on my list and I break it into its parts. Let's say, for example, I'm just giving you an example. Okay, let's say I say I want to work on the relationship with my family. I want to have a better relationship with my family. Okay, that's a beautiful thing, right? That's a beautiful personal goal that you would want. But just saying that is not going to get you there. What are the practical things that you can do daily, weekly, monthly, however you decide? And again, it's about thinking small. So you got to start small. Every person knows where they're at. So somebody that never, let's say, for example, let's say never speaks to their family, they're not going to make a goal that they're going to talk to their family every day. That's, again, you have to be, it has to be very small, very practical. Maybe it's once a week. Maybe it's even once a month. Because the way that we are as human beings is that we like to check things off lists, right? I mean, as, for those that are list makers out there, they know exactly what I'm talking about, right? You know, you make your list and you love that crossing something off a list, the best feeling. So much so that sometimes you did something and you look at your list and you're like, oh man, I forgot to write it. And you write it on the list and then you cross <laughs> it right out a second later. I mean, it's like the most ridiculous thing, but because generally as people, we like to feel that sense of productivity that we are accomplishing, that we are moving the needle forward mm -hmm. somehow. So when we create small goals, right, we dream big, but we think small and we celebrate those small wins, it allows us to continue building and building and building. So if a person 
family's goal is to repair a relationship with their family or to have a better relationship, then something may be like, you know, whether it be giving a call or sending a thoughtful message or making sure that you send the message on their birthday or maybe sending like a thoughtful or meaningful gift or picture or whatever it is, you know, when you're, when you can be specific, you have the ability to now really move that needle. So to me, that's really what mindfulness is. It's not just saying what you want and like, all right, I said it, I did it. No, what are the practice? Like, let's do the work, okay? You made the list, awesome. But what's the stuff that you have to do in between this whole year to get you there? So doing, practicing something that you consider to be mindfulness on a daily basis just helps you to zoom back into what's important to you as opposed to hearing the bell at the end of the year and saying, oh, oh man, I totally forgot it's a year past. I can't believe it all year. But if you have like a little ding, a little bell every day, that's, hey, are you remembering that, that goal? Are you, are, you, are you remembering that? You know, don't forget that's where you were going. So even if you sway off, you have the ability to sway back. Whether you do that on a daily basis, whether you do it on a weekly basis, but it has to be, you have to start small. You have to know yourself because many of us in this world are all or nothing people. We have to be careful about that because it's not all or nothing. I mean, you're going to have days where you're not going to be able to remember to do the things you wanted to do. So what? It's just start again the next day. It's, you know, it's like the big diet thing, right? People that say, oh, they want to go on a diet and then uh, they're doing so great. They're doing great for two weeks. And then, oh, they, you know, they ate a donut and they're like, oh, you know, forget today is ready bad. I'm just going to eat more. <laughs> and then the next day, oh, you know, I already messed up. Again, we're human beings. We're allowed to make mistakes. The idea is not, is to bet a bit more on yourself, to, to not be too hard on yourself and to celebrate your wins a lot more often that will help you get to the goals where you want to get to and whatever that mindfulness practice may be it may be going for a walk it may be you know i every once a week i go and i play i play basketball that to me is part of mindfulness for me why it's giving actually something to yourself so connected to mindfulness for me is, is also feeding you feeding your actual soul with what it needs because you know, you might be feeding yourself with food, but if you're not feeding your soul with what it needs to feel strong, right? You're not blowing air into your life vest, then it's not gonna keep you afloat. And then it will definitely not keep anybody else afloat. So every time that you do something for you, it's like you're blowing air into that vest. And that's the difference between one that will save you, one that will not, it's just air. You're giving of your air supply, right? You're making yourself stronger and stronger and stronger. I appreciate and admire that you don't pigeonhole yourself into a specific definition of mindfulness and what it means to be mindful and that you have done the work to figure out what that means for you and, and what works best for you. And you mentioned prayer, uh, the app that you created, that seems to be heavily uh, relying upon prayer and the, the practice of prayer. Is, is that correct? Yes, it is. Uh, I created this app. It's called Abraham's Legacy. And I created this in memory of my grandfather who passed several years ago. Uh, and it basically is through the, the, it, it's through the book of Psalms, which is 150 chapters. And it allows people from around the world to collectively complete the book of Psalms in minutes in unison with people from all over the world. Uh, and it creates a sense of community. And, you know, my connection to this is very, very, very deep. 
because when my grandfather got sick some years ago, and my grandfather was like the captain of our family. I, I never had lost somebody that close to me in my life. And he fell and he broke his hip. And it was like one thing led to the next where several months later he passed. But when he first fell, like they literally told us we were going to lose him any day. And that was a very shocking thing. And so my family joined together to split up the book of Psalms and to read specific chapters every day to finish the book in his, in his name. And it was an incredible experience, but I was afraid that not everybody was going to read their chapters or were going to forget. And no one's going to be the guy that's going to say, oh, I forgot to read mine today for grandpa. Mm -hmm. So I started reading the full book every day, 150 chapters, like two, two hours, two and a half hours every single day. And I actually had a dream about this app, which I know sounds crazy, but I did. I had a dream about this app. It's not crazy at all. I had no background, no background in technology, no clue how I was going to do this, not a clue. And when he passed, I made it my, my mission to bring this out into the world. Cause when he, I was, he, they had called us into the hospital one day, I'll never forget this. They called us in the hospital one night. They said, come quick. He's he, that's it. He's not going to make it through the night. And I ran, we ran there with the whole family. I grabbed my, my book of Psalms and I was hysterical crying and I was standing by his bed and I'm just, I'm reading with every fiber of my being, just really connecting to the words because the words specifically of Psalms have like every gamut of emotion in there, joy and sadness and sorrow, and everything. And I get to a specific verse and the verse said, and I'm going to translate it because it's in Hebrew, but I'll translate it to English. It says, don't die, let him live. And I will share your glory. Mm. I will speak of your wonders. And I got to this line this verse and I couldn't get over it. And I just kept saying, I said it maybe thousands of times. And I said, I'm not stopping to say this until he makes it through tonight. Mm. Thousands of times. Not only did he make it through that night, but we had him for several more months, which is a huge, huge gift. And when he passed, I found this bag where he keeps his prayer books and inside was a book of Psalms. And I pull it out and there was a bookmark in the book of Psalms. And I opened it up. And lo and behold, which verse was it on? The one you said. On that verse. Please don't let him die, let him live, and I will share your wonders. And it was in that moment that I said, I have no idea how I'm gonna do this, but I gotta I gotta bring this into the world. And the reason why prayer, in my opinion, is so powerful, and everybody connects to prayer in different ways. It's very, very personal, you know. Um, whether a person's religious or not religious, I mean, still prayer is definitely an aspect. Prayer is is hope. Prayer provides a person with a sense of hope and hope is the greatest thing in the world. It completely destroys fear. You know, we can be afraid of many things, but when there's hope, that fear disappears. And that connection, that sense of connecting to others that are going through something similar to what you're going through, letting you know that you're not alone, it's, it, it's a very powerful force. Uh, and, and keeps you pushing forward. Wow, that's a beautiful story. Congratulations on following through and, and Thank you. building that. I know how challenging that can be. Hey, yeah, it's been definitely a journey, but a fantastic one. I want to ask you about leadership. I want to ask you about patience and humility. Uh, but I also want to ask you about some of the Life Vest Inside initiatives. Is there one in particular you'd like to cover first of all those? Wow. Uh, there's, there are a lot that I love. I personally, I really gravitate a lot towards, even though it doesn't get 
as much visibility uh, to Project Hope Exchange. I mean, that that is an initiative that speaks to me specifically because of my own personal story. And Project Hope Exchange basically, it, it, it's on its own site, but it basically allows people to listen and record 30-second anonymous audio messages of hope from people that have been through adversity to others currently going through the same adversity. Because like I said, right, without hope, everything is lost. Mm-hmm. And when we give hope, oftentimes, if you think about a time that you've given hope to somebody or given advice to someone, when we give advice to someone, we're really talking to ourselves. Let's be honest. We are. We're totally speaking to ourselves. And it actually gives us hope when we're giving to others. It's a, it's a circle. And so through this, through this site, you have the ability to leave an audio message of hope based on anything that you're going through. There are three buckets. There's physical health, mental health, and life challenges. And all of the audio messages are all user generated. So if somebody leaves a message of hope, you know, based on a specific thing, okay, it will then, it's listened to professionals in the field and then placed into that specific bucket. So if I come and I click on, let's say physical health, and I you know, click on cancer, it'll sort through all the audio messages of people that have either gone through cancer, going through it, or have family members that are going through it. And this is the same for any, any, uh, you know, adversity that somebody may be facing. Because when someone's going through something rough, the last thing they want to hear is, oh, you, you know, it's going to be okay. Like, people don't really want to hear it's going to be okay when, when it's not okay. I mean, it's not okay. But when you hear from somebody that's going through it and is there right now, it does something to you. It speaks to you in a completely different way. And that, that is the purpose of this. It's anonymous and it's through the voice. It's through the voice because that is our greatest strength, our greatest strength that's been given to us. What separates us from the animals, right, is our ability to speak. Because when we speak, we create. That is the, that is the essence of speech. It actually creates. That's why we have to be so mindful with our words so protective of how we use them because they have the ability to build and they have the ability to destroy. And so one person sharing their inner heart through their voice to another, I mean, has the ability to truly uh, create a positive hope exchange. And that's exactly what Project Hope Exchange is all about. I will put the all of the links to uh, Life Essence Inside, uh, Kindness Boomerang, uh, Project Hope Exchange. We'll put all of that in the show notes because these are all so wonderful. And thank you, uh, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm actually, reg- I like to prepare a lot before these conversations, and I'm. Reg- I, I definitely can see that. <laughs> I'm regretting not actually. I spending- love. I love your questions. Uh, thank you. I'm regretting not spending time on on uh, Hope Exchange because uh, how wonderful. I mean, that really brings it so full circle for you in terms of being seen use of voice, that raising of your hand in class, uh, so much of, of, of what you do really stems from what you have learned and, and what you've learned works for you and, and works for others. It's so beautiful. And the truth is that's the greatest things that we can give into the world. We have to see, you know, each and every one of us came into this world with a suitcase packed specifically for us, with our skills, with our talents, with the hardships, with the, with the wins, the ups, the downs, and they, it was specifically packed for us for, for a reason, for the purpose that we are meant to be going on, for the journey that we are supposed to be setting forward on. And so instead of us looking always in the, the next guy next to us in, in his suitcase to see what he's got going on, why does he have that? Why has he got this? Why is that? How come I don't have that? 
if we instead looked into our own suitcase, even into the, to the point of pain, the hardships in our life, they're there for a reason. You can use the hardships that you've had to, to, to actually shut you down, or you can use them to build you up and build others up. You can use them as a springboard to be able to, to motivate you to want to help the exact same type of person that has the exact same sort of hardships that you faced. But we only can do that if we look inward and stop looking at everybody else that's got stuff. You know, it's very easy to, to always want what everybody else has. But little do you know that what you have is actually awesome. It's exactly what you need. You have the tools you need to build what you need to build. But if you're not going to see them, then you're going to miss the whole point. Yes, yes. You've turned those painful experiences and uh, you've leveraged your talents and, and abilities and turned all of that into gifts. Like that's your gift to the world. I, I, I say we all do the best that we can. That's, that's all we can do. We're all conduits. And if we allow ourselves to be open, then, then great things can flow through us. But we have to always remember that I, I, I say this and I really, I really mean it. And it's very important. We have to see ourselves as a conduit because if you allow yourself to see, oh, wow, look at all that I did. That's a very dangerous place to get into. Very dangerous place. We are all a conduit. We're a conduit to bring good down into the world. And if we, if we allow ourselves to be that conduit and recognize that, you know, this is coming from, it's in a sense, coming from above, however you want to see it, okay? But it's something that's flowing through us. We have the ability to bring even more, but, but we have to remember that it, it, it's, not about, it's not about us, you know? It, it's about what we can do for the collective. Your May 26th entry is about humility. Do you mind if I read? No, please uh, go for it. A couple sentences from it. It's, it's beautiful. Confidence and arrogance looks the same, but are diametrically opposed. One springs from a true sense of self-value. The other is steeped in self-loathing and insecurity. One with a yearning to unite and empower, the other with an insatiable thirst for honor. One leads to serenity, the other to frustration. One instills love and acceptance, the other feeds off of fear and intimidation. And that ultimately true confidence comes from humility. You, you, you actually touched on my, one of my favorite acts. You just, you, you just read one of my favorite reflections in the book. It's, it's so key mm -hmm. and it's very easy to forget, you know, and we have to remember this in times of success and times of failure. Because they do, they do look, they do look very much the same, arrogance and confidence. I speak about this a lot also in my, my classrooms with my students, you know, uh, because they look the same, but they're very, very different. A, you know, a person that's arrogant, how do you know what's a litmus test to know if you're around the person that's arrogant or confident? A person that's arrogant makes you feel like on edge, like you're, you're like so worried, like, am I saying right? Am I dressed right? Am I walking? Like, <laughs> they, they make you feel so much on edge, but a person that's confidence makes you feel so embraced. Mm -hmm makes you feel like an equal. Yeah. That's really like the litmus test. It's psychologically safe to be around that person. A hundred percent. And um, we have to remember that we are all pieces of the puzzle, different shapes, different colors, but every single one, the same size. If we lose sight of that, when, you know, when things go really well for us in our life and, and we have loads of success and, but if we lose sight of that, we'll lose, we're going to end up losing a lot more.
we lose ourselves. Like, why do you think you have that success? Why do you think you have it? You have it so that you can give to the collective whole. I mean, we're all interconnected in this world. If, if, if uh, the past couple of years didn't show us that, mm-hmm. how interconnected we all are, then I don't know what else will. We're so interconnected. And we, we always think that, well, if, if I, you know, if I don't have them, somebody else must have. So for me to have somebody else has to be down, I have to be up. No, it doesn't. There's so much in this world for everybody. There really is. There is so much in this world. Like there's enough for everyone. We, but we have to get out of that mindset. And society makes us believe that way, that for one person to be up, somebody else has, has to be down. It, it's, it's not true. You know, we, we rise by lifting others. That's really, it, it's such a, a key component. Um, and at the end of the day, what matters most, who is remembered most in this world is the people that care. Those are the people, the stories that you tell over and over and over again are the stories of that random person that, you know, did this small act for you when you really needed it or ask you how you were doing when you were hysterical crying at a bus stop and they didn't even know who you were and they just gave you a hug. You tell, we tell these stories over and over again, but you know, who remembers, you know, the, you know, like it says the awards, awards and accolades, you know, they get buried with their owners. That's not the things that we remember. Can you remember, you know, who the, the last 10 decades, uh, you know, World Series winners were? Or, you know, who won Best Actor and Actress the past 10 years in a row? You're I have ask, no you're clue. Asking, you're asking the wrong guy. I, don't, I wouldn't know either. <laughs> but nobody, nobody would know. That's the point because we don't re- – the things that matter, the things that we remember, we remember those that care. Right. And so, therefore, we have to remember that just like we matter, the, the next person also, uh, you know, makes, makes a difference. They're, they're here. They also make a difference. And like I said, to remember that you're a conduit. So when you have, if you've been blessed with given, you've been given something, you've been given it for a reason. You've been given so that you can help lift others up. And that's a form of leadership. You, you speak to leadership a few times in your book. Yes. One of our core values at GLOW is nurture kindness. And we have three key behaviors that support that core value. And it led me to wonder, do you ever consult? So, so it's funny, you know, I, 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 so I do give talks uh, to companies. I give talks in companies, schools, community centers. It's funny that you ask that. I've had several people ask me if I, you know, do consulting. I do consulting, but not like in a professional way, meaning I, I love people. Okay. So it's like my biggest passion is people. And I also love helping people. So I generally get, I get so many calls um, on a regular basis to consult. And I, I offer my time because if I can help somebody, um, you know, rise up or come to understand how they can, you know, become successful in whichever way or hit a goal that they want to hit. I'm happy to do it simply because if they're living their best life, then the world is, then it helps me get to my goal, right? My goal is to want to be able to create, to build this a, a kinder, happier, more unified world, right? So if that's my mission, that means if a person is living their mission, I'm going to get to my mission faster. So if I can help that person do that, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, this is a team sport. Creating a better world is a team sport. It's not, it's not a one person sport. It's a team sport. And we all got to tag team each other. You know what I mean? That's right. We almost didn't use the word kindness as one of our core values. We had other (laughs) words that we were considering because that's why I led with the question about it, it being misconstrued especially in a, a business transactional 
an environment that can be transactional uh, at times. So yeah, I was curious if, if you were uh, working in that domain. It's, 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 it's funny. You know, I, I, yeah, I do, I do, I do uh, just in more of a, it's, it's my way of giving back. Right. I would like, say like to create a culture that's both kind and high performing. I'm sure you and I could have a full hour conversation just on. Oh that. my gosh, and that's a very big thing that I speak about in 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 companies specifically because, you know, we very often look at numbers, right? Like numbers are our indication, but you know, you have to also look at people, uh, and and that's something that's it's 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 so critical because when people are at their best and when they're feeling at their best, they're able to perform at their best. The, there is greater efficiency and productivity and loyalty. Loyalty, do we forget that word? Like that word has been lost in today's society. I love the word loyalty. I think it's such a good word. And you know, when you see people and when you, when you actually feed and you, like you said, you nurture them in that way, you, can, you bring out the best in them Therefore, you bring out the best work for you at the end of the day, but it has to be authentic if you're just doing it because, oh, well, they say if you do this, it's going to help your bottom line. But if it's not authentic, people feel it. I mean, you got to be authentic at the end of the day. It's the key to everything. But and to your earlier points, it's it's not easy. It's no. in fact, it's very hard. It, it, it means there will be conflict. There will be creative tension. There will be friction that is part of the creative process it's a growth it's a growth every every sort of growth process is like that but once you get it down then it feels very natural it, but it's about reprogramming ourselves to see things a little bit differently and and realizing that it's it's small shifts it's small shifts that make a very big difference exactly i really want to ask you about the environment you you have an entry about uh, february 11th planting a tree and you mentioned how you've always been fascinated by trees and how they give you uh, wonder mm. and, and hope and that a tree is uninterested in the impossible can you speak to kindness and the environment oh my gosh yes i remember i remember this entry very very much i always i go create i love it because it's the most wild thing i mean gravity is pushing down on everything you take something you drop it falls down and then you have this tree right this crazy massive item that juts out from the ground and goes upward against gravity against the force of gravity and then from there you have branches and you have leaves and then a fruit and inside that fruit is the potential for additional growth for more growth for more fruit for more trees to me that that's a beyond incredible thing and this very much connects in my opinion to to leadership and also in, ter in terms of how we build ourselves you know what what to me fascinates me most about about trees is the fact that you don't see the growth in the beginning you just, you don't see it i mean it's under it's underground very often in today's world we have we are very much into instant gratification just instant gratification you press a button something happens oh my goodness if your you know your phone takes a little extra time to load you got to get a new phone this is like the worst thing ever. We're into this instant gratification, which I understand, okay? But the idea is the real, real growth and, and, and real success comes with time. It comes with time and it's doing the work. Again, this is the inner work. The tree, it doesn't go up first. It goes down first. It plant, it's, it's roots. It's getting really, really solid inside the ground. Why? Because it knows that even though people can't see that growth, because it's in its inner growth, 
even though people can't see it, it needs that growth. Why? Because it's about to do something impossible. It's about to go up against the force of gravity. And only because it does that inner growth can it be able to stand so tall. And it's the same thing in terms of how we build. It's amazing that we don't realize it and incorporate it into our own life. When a person's building a building, right, the bigger the building, the deeper the foundations. You know, you can have a project being worked on for years and you don't even see anything. You're like, what is going on? They've been down there for, for the longest time ever. Yeah, because they understand something important. That if I'm going to build a crazy tall building that's going to have to survive against wind and storms and all sorts of craziness, I got to have a very, very strong, rock-solid foundation. And, all, and then once the foundation is built, you know how fast the building can go up? In, in days, the building can go up if the foundation is strong. We have to recognize this as well for ourselves. If we want to succeed, whether it be personally, professionally, whatever it is, we need to invest the time on that inner work. Uh, we need to invest the time on those roots, on the foundational, the foundational aspects. And remember, as a kid, I used to always, you know, they used to have where you give you give some money and you get to plant a tree. I happen to be now living in Israel. I'm living right now in Jerusalem. So it was always as a kid, it was always like if you give a dollar, you're planting a tree somewhere in Israel. So it was always something I was very fascinated with this concept of a tree and the growth from it and the beauty of it and its ability to continue you know, that it's, it's, it's coming, it's going, a, 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 you know, it's doing the impossible and it's bringing additional life through this amazing fruit. I love that image. We have for a while now been wanting to tie engagement with our platform on glow with giving back to the environment. And, uh, we're, I think launching in, um, April and May, the beginning of that. And so by interacting with glow, I won't give it all away just yet because we haven't announced it. Um, that will result in planting of, of um, certain kinds of trees that have the most impact. That's that's amazing. I love that. Oh, thank you. I, 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 the last segment from your book I want to read speaks to what you just said because it has to do with patience. There, there's there's a extra importance it seems uh, today in some cultures placed on the quick fix and uh, mm -hmm. the opposite of what you're referring to in terms of really investing in the foundation and, and the work that it takes to, to uh, create that, that grounded sense of, of, of character. And your April 25th entry says, disappointment and absence of patience often stem from our lack of understanding that the journey, the process, and the seemingly tough times are indications of failure that in order to extend patience to the outside world, we have to grant that coveted prize of patience to ourselves. I, I just love that concept of granting patience to ourselves. It's, it's a gift. And it's, you know why it's so important? Because our greatest critics are ourselves. We are our greatest critics. Right. We tear ourselves down better than anybody else does. We do. And if we constantly are looking at the gap between where we are and where we wanna be, that gap can sometimes crush us because it seems like, wow, it's going to be forever. I'm never going to get there. But it's important in life to also look back. I know we always talk about looking forward, but it's important in life to stop, look back and see how far you've come. Use the positive momentum, use the positive energy from how far you've come to propel you forward. Have patience with yourself in knowing that you're not going to do something. There's no such thing as an overnight success. Now, 
you know, people will show us, you'll see these stories about overnight success. But if you actually dig deep into any person that you think is an overnight success, really dig deep into them, okay? They're not an overnight success. It came with years and work and inner work and failing and succeeding again and then failing again. There's no such thing as overnight success. It just may appear that way. There's a lot of work that goes into that. And I think that in the society in which we are in, where, you know, this concept even of things going viral, right? Something just, oh my God, wow. You ask kids in today's world what they want, what they value their life, what, how they measure their sense of happiness. Do you know what comes as the two top things? Fame and fortune. Fame and fortune are the two things that the next generation thinks is what's going to give them happiness. That is problematic because again, there's always, they see these quick fixes. I just wanna, I just wanna get known. Everyone is looking, again, they're looking, everyone is looking at each other's suitcase, forgetting to look into their own. But it, it, it's, it's patience, it comes with time and it comes with not being so hard on yourself. It's gonna, there's gonna be days where you're feeling low. There's gonna be days where you're like, oh my God, how come? And I ask myself this question too, we all do. I mean, it's very normal, like, wow, it's so hard, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's hard. <laughs> it's supposed to be hard. You want to create, you want to create something of, of lasting impact. It, it comes with time, but you have to enjoy the journey, enjoy those bumps and celebrate the small wins. You must celebrate the small wins and be patient with yourself. You'll get there. You will get there. And again, it's not easy. It's not easy to bet on ourselves. But I always say, if you know, if you have air in your lungs, you wake up in the morning, you take a deep breath in, that's on purpose. Not everybody gets to wake up. So if you woke up with air in your lungs, that means there's a reason that you woke up. That means that there's something that you and you alone are meant to bring into this world today that nobody else can, that nobody else can. Do you realize how important you are? If the universe is betting on you, if God is betting on you, however you want to look at it, okay? How could you not bet on you? How could you not bet on yourself? Is it easy? No, of course not. It's not easy. It's going to be really hard, but it's okay. You make a mistake day one, get up. You have another day. You got the blank canvas in front of you. You got all the paints. What kind of picture do you want to paint? So inspiring. So as we wind down here, I just want to mention that uh, there are three videos of worth noting that they've created. There's the uh, initial video that I believe you created uh, just after film school. Is that correct? Or no, after? Yeah, it was right. It was actually right after. It was while I was still teaching. It was in my summer off from teaching. And okay. that's what sort of started the organization. This is like when I first started the organization. It's called Kindness Boomerang. Same name as the book. Which has had now hundreds of millions of views across multiple platforms. Yeah, it's pretty wild. It's, it's, it's beautiful. I encourage everyone to watch it. We'll put a link in the show notes. You also have the science of giving and the science of kindness videos, which I highly recommend people check out. And then I think lastly, I want to ask you for those listening that are as inspired by you as I am and, and want to get involved, like how do you recommend they get involved with Life Best Inside? So first off, I would, I would highly recommend checking out our, our YouTube channel. We have loads of fantastic videos on there, as well as our website, lifeestinside.com. From there, you can get to the other websites. I do have an, a newsletter that goes out daily called The Daily Kind. Uh, and it has, you know, an act of the day, positive affirmation, quote, and then a kindness media. 
And so I would highly recommend signing up for that. We send that also, I send that a monthly newsletter focused on a specific character trait. For example, this or a specific topic this past month was tolerance. And it has an act of the month and a, a book of the month and a story of the month and a quote, everything to do with that specific value or character. Uh, and so I highly recommend checking that out. The other way that you can get involved that, Again, I would recommend, we have an incredible event every year, an international event called Dance for Kindness. At its core, it's really a leadership training program, but basically it's the largest global flash mob that happens all over the world, all on the same day to celebrate World Kindness Day. And this year is our 10th annual event. So it's a big deal. Plus it's just coming off of two years of COVID. We're finally gonna have another physical event. The past two years were digital. So I would highly recommend checking that out at danceforkindness.com. Uh, you know, shortly within the month of April or so, we're going to be opening up group leader registration for people to register to lead an event in their city. And every year we create a new dance and a new song and people from all over the world on that day gather together in their city centers to dance the same song, same dance all on the same day, and then engage in various kindness activities in their community. Mm. Uh, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. We have like a worldwide montage of showing all the people dancing together. But more than anything, it's really a leadership training program. So if you are interested in leading an event in your city, maybe you're not a dancer, maybe you've never organized an event, maybe you're super shy like I was, this is totally for you because at its core, what we do is teach you not only how to organize this event, but how to take any idea that you might have for positive change and break it into its parts. Because let's be honest, we all have dreams. The thing is that we don't know how to take those dreams and put them into fruition. Oftentimes we could get so caught up in how do I get started that we actually don't get started. The purpose of this program, this leadership program, and it's a free program. The purpose of it is to teach you how to take something bigger than you, break it into its parts and start putting it into fruition to get one to execute one task after the next to end up doing something much bigger than you ever thought imaginable. And that's really the, the core and the essence of dance for kindness. So I recommend checking it out. You can learn more at danceforkindness.com. And uh, I, I personally onboard every one of our group leaders. It's just an incredible experience. It happens in over 50 countries, over 150 cities, all on the same day. And you get to connect with people from all over the world. Thank you so much, Orly. Thank you for your vulnerability, for putting yourself out there on the line, not listening to all of the, the no's and the naysaying and following <laughs> through with your, your dream and um, having such a, an incredible positive influence and impact on people around the world. Thank you. Thank you so much, Derek. I really appreciate it and appreciate your questions. And uh, it's just been a pleasure to connect with you. Thank you. Thank you to our entire team behind the scenes at GLOW. I'm so grateful for your care and commitment to serving our members around the world. Thank you to our teachers for so beautifully sharing your gifts and talents. I'm also grateful to our lovely community of GLOW members. You've supported us since 2008, and because of you, we get to continue to do the work we love. It's the combined support of our team, our teachers, and our community that grants me the privilege to continue to bring you the GLOW podcast. Thank you to Lee Schneider at Red Cub Agency for production support. And the beautiful music you're hearing now is by Carrie Rodriguez and her husband, Luke Jacobs. And remember, take care of yourself because our world needs you. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. You can find the Glow Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or glo.com slash podcast, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Derek Mills.